from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. We have on the line with us here, Mr. Rob Conrad. Rob is just called into the show. We got him set and ready to go here on the broadcast. So we come out of the annoying moment of the week, proudly presented by Carvel DeWitt, which once again was Antonio Brown. And we step in in Charney's Menswear and Tuxedo Studios here on 3150 Erie Boulevard East in Syracuse, New York, into our segment, Significant Sound Bites, where we spotlight someone every single week. That person we're spotlighting this week is Rob Conrad. More than anything, we're happy that Rob is safe and sound after the hurricane came through Florida and has now found its way, hopefully will be uh, stopping sputtering out and not affecting anybody else. But you know my family in St. Augustine and Papa Joe on the show yesterday describing what they went through and, and what's going on there. And now we're happy to know that we have Rob here on the broadcast and hopefully all is well. Rob, how are we doing today? Hey, Dan. How are you, buddy? Doing very well. And, and, and Rob, you know, first and foremost, how, you know, how was the storm and, and everything that went on? I know you were, you said that, you know, you had to be evacuated, that, uh, that the office had to be. Just what what went on down there? Is everybody okay? Kind of, you know, what's been the, the aftermath of it? Yeah, you know, uh, we've, we've been, I've been down here 20-some-odd years now in, uh, in South Florida, I guess 20 years now since I was drafted down here. And you kind of get used to the, uh, the routine, if you will, of uh, preparing and, and uh, what I like to call dodging hurricanes. And uh, we, we got really lucky. I ended up actually... Uh, you know, packing my family up, running up to uh, another SU alum, Melinda Mare, who played with me in Syracuse and then Miami. He's got a place up in the uh, uh, West North Carolina, so went went up there and got to spend kind of a nice Labor Day weekend with 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 them, which was nice. But uh, yeah, yeah, unfortunately, just 60 miles away from where we live in in the west end of the Bahamas, it's just you know the it's it's like Armageddon. It's it's really sad, and uh, there's a lot of efforts here to get aid over to those those folks and you know, a lot of folks coming this way so it's a really unfortunate situation and it's kind of scary to see you know how, how close that came to you know hitting south florida and, and certainly we feel like we you know dodged the bullet storm really wasn't too bad here but uh you know tough situation for for those in the bahamas tough, tough place to ride out of the storm no absolutely and 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 just you know like you said there's there's efforts out there um you know what what you know, have you seen being done and whatnot? I mean, I, I actually had this conversation yesterday about when I went to uh, Hurricane Katrina relief and, and went down to New Orleans to help out there. And, you know, the, the government really didn't provide much anything to those people, at least not from what we could see. And so we went down and, and we helped them try to rebuild their lives. Ha, have you seen efforts? Have there been efforts down in Florida and the Bahamas? Or is it kind of everybody for themselves again? I mean, uh, what, what's been done as far as relief? Yeah, there, there's been a bunch of guys I know uh, that, that we've been putting together, uh, you know, supplies and trying to run them over on the boats. The biggest problem we've had has been twofold: is that there's been uh, there's a lot of debris in the ocean right now, so running boats over there is is you know the, is difficult with the amount of uh, stuff floating around, uh, hitting you know, hitting props and just having a clean run over. The second part is there's really the, the ports of entry, the airport, they're all destroyed. So to, to try 
hard to get a clean entry onto land is is, is difficult for for you know, governments and uh, you know individuals alike. So I know there's a lot of people scrambling, doing their best right now, and uh, yeah, it's just a really really difficult situation. And for you, like you said, you know, you're trying to help out. Uh, why, why, you know, I guess I guess the whys are, are always there because in a world that seemingly likes to kind of focus on itself and, you know, it's a, become a, a very much a, a me society to a lot of people, what makes you go and reach your, your hand out to a stranger? Well, listen, I, I think from, from our standpoint, there is a lot of connectivity between where I live in South Florida and the Bahamas in general especially the west end of Nassau. I, I live right right near Palm Beach, and it's literally 60 miles away. And it's uh, a lot of folks, uh, you know, here have second houses over there. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of family that are over there. It's just a lot of connectivity. So um, I think it's, you know, the, the, you know, the feeling of loss is, is certainly, um, you know, here and it's present. And, uh, you know, if you have the ability to do it, um, you know, most people are trying to help out in any way they can. And for you, Rob, speaking here with Rob Conrad, Syracuse Orange football alum and NFL alum as well, you had your own story, and it was carried from you know so many so many different places. And I remember my dad calling me and and saying, "Did you hear what happened with Rob Conrad?" And and it was just you know it, it's it's been everywhere. And and to go back to that you know kind of moment. You know, you're helping people that you don't want to give up. You're reaching out to people right now in the Bahamas, in in South Florida, that you want to hold on. And in your case, you had that yourself in your own unique way to hold on and to not give up. Going back to that story, now that there's there's been some time that's passed, just what you can say. I mean, what four years, a little over four years ago, just your own story of of adversity and overcoming that and you know, something that most people will never have to go through. Yeah, I certainly hope not. That was a, uh, that was a tough one. And I'm glad I didn't, you know, know what was in front of me before it happened. But, uh, look, I'll, I'll say the, you know, for, for, for what it's worth, my, my boat that day ended up in the West End of the Bahamas <laughs> without me. <laughs> yeah. It made, it made a trip over there without me to show you how close it is over there. But, uh, yeah, you know, it, I'm obviously a very different situation, and, and my experience was 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 really unique, and one we could have a conversation about at a, at a at a later date. But a lot of life lessons certainly, you know, changes your perspective on waking up every day and getting to see your friends and your family and, and all the good things that uh, uh, that are out there on a daily basis. And it's really been life changing for me in a positive way. And and uh, but yeah, no, it was it was one heck of a deal, and and. Uh, you know, glad, glad I had an opportunity to, to be here today and, and speaking with you and doing all the things we get to do every day. Absolutely. As we talk here with Rob Conrad, Syracuse Orange football alum and, and NFL alum, and would definitely like to, you know, spend some time on that story, like you said, at a later date to really just describe that. I mean, wake-up call is where sports meets life, and the easiest way to describe what that means is to say we use sports as a vehicle to bring people together because life in general is, is full of a lot of amazing things that need to be talked about and being a positive voice in the community for us is paramount. Rob, for you, Syracuse, to, to get into this, I know you and I last week were going to talk about the season that we have here and then the storm hits, so we have an opportunity to do that today, and I appreciate you doing that for us. And just what your take is uh, kind of going into it for this season before we get into Liberty and Maryland and, and all that good stuff just what your take has been coming out of last year 
into this year. I mean, you and I met last year at the Florida State game, and we got to sit down, we got to do a show together, and uh, it was a true honor for me because you're one of the players I'd want to talk, wanted to talk to since I was a little kid. And so to be able to do that was great. You got to be around the program. You got to be back in Syracuse. And that season, Dino goes 10-3 and with this team. Just what your overall sense of the team was last year, seeing them go from 3-9, and nine, three seasons of 4-8, and eight, to finally get to 10-3. and three. Yeah, you know, look for, from my standpoint, uh, I've I, I become a really big fan. You know, first and foremost, uh, John Wildhack has done, I think, an amazing job as an AD. He, you know, for, I've been away from the program for some time, and and he, you know, reached out and kind of, uh, you know, brought me back in and you know let me uh, you know spend a little bit of time with Dino and they got to know the group and, and I couldn't be happier. I love what Dino's doing. I think he's the right you know the right guy, the right place at the right time. Um, I couldn't have been happier with the way the team, you know, prepared. You look a couple of years back, you know, they, they won some big games, but they didn't know how to handle success. That wasn't around, um, you know, hasn't been around for a long time. I think you look at probably the 87 through 98 time frame where it was expected. I mean, when I came in there, we, we expected to win. We expected to be good. Uh, you know, that culture, it takes a while to turn around the culture on a football team. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll see, but you know, you saw that last year, they were able to, you know, consistently be very good and occasionally great, which is, which is terrific. And see, you know, let's you know, see if that culture, you know, continues within the program and with these players. And, uh, and that's really what what it what it takes to you know have those expectations, walk on the field, expect to win, not hope to win, and uh, and, and prepare in that fashion. So I, I couldn't be happier. I mean, to the point I actually uh, ended up, uh, um, you know, hopefully I'll be able to get up for a few of the games. I actually bought boxes here in the dome. So. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm real excited about the program and, and where they're going. And uh, you know, a lot of the alumni, have, as you probably have seen in the last few years, have, are, are you know quite happy with the progress and have, have been coming back and, and supporting the program. So it's it's exciting time for Syracuse football. Um, couldn't be happier with the people in place and just want to see things continue. Yeah, you know, and, and to see that, like you said, <clears throat> you know, to, to see the alumni that are excited and, and, you know, ready to see this team continue to grow and continue to blossom – all good things take time. There's a lot of impatience in in the world we live in today because we live in a society where people expect things instantaneously. What can you say about the job that Dino's done? Because he came in, and this, this is his fourth season with the team, but he came in a while back, and I'll never forget where I was sitting. I'm sitting on press row. I was kitty corner to one of the baskets, and Dino came onto the court for a basket, a Syracuse men's basketball game. And I remember he was he was wearing his jacket, and he grabbed that microphone, and he said, I need you all to have something. I need you all to have faith, belief without evidence. I need you to have that faith in us, faith in these young men, belief without evidence, that we're going to get it done. And 4-8 and eight happens, and 4-8 and eight happens, and then 10-3 and three happens. What can you say about faith, belief without evidence, and the fact that Dino stepped into Syracuse and said, we're going to do this. You just have to believe in it before you see it. Yeah. So, you know, I was on the coaching search committee with Helen Schnellenberger. You, you probably know that name if, if, if the, if the you know, audience might not. He's you know, Hall of Fame, uh, you know, college coach down here, coached at the University of Miami before Jimmy Johnson. Uh, and, you know, he, we, when we were looking for the coach, and this is a, a, a brand-new college program down here in Florida, 
and he made the commentary. He said, look, more than anything else, even from a coaching standpoint, you need a music man. You kind of need the Pied Piper. You need a confidence man to come in here and build up expectation and belief in, in, in the program. You know, that, that's going to lead to, you know, the recruiting and the football part of it's going to come next. I always found that interesting. And with Dino, he, he was a confidence man, and I think that's what this place needed. He put a stake in the ground and said, we're going to be great again. Um, and that hasn't been done for a long time. And I, I think you can, you, can, you can look back to that and the way he's led this program, these kids, you know, to be able to believe that, you know, Syracuse can be, you know, dominant football, you know, football program again. And it's been, these again, the, the right guy, uh, and, you know, the right place and the right time. And, you know, so, you know, we've, we've come from, you know, from A to B. And now the tough part is, is, you know, taking that next step and being consistent with it, which is, is never an easy thing, especially in today's college football. But, um, you know, you couldn't been couldn't be happier with the way you know things have progressed so far. And you know, last year I think it just created so much energy. I think I heard maybe the Carrier Dome had their largest season ticket sales in you know, 20 years or something along those lines. So, you know, hopefully it'll it'll be exciting, you know, to to come watch games in the Carrier Dome again and kind of bring back some of the you know days when when you know. Donnie McPherson, Donovan McNabb, Marvin Graves, those guys were roaming the field. Yeah, you know, and, and to, to see that, to see the fact that so many people are excited about this game, it's a sellout game that they have here, and, and that is something that I have not heard in forever. So, you know, for you as, as an alum of the program, speaking here with Rob Conrad, for you to be connected so closely to this program and be a part of the rich history and put on that jersey like everybody else is doing right now, the jersey, the jerseys might look a little bit different, but it's the same old orange and blue. To hear that we have a sellout in the Carrier Dome, just what went through your mind and through your heart when you heard that news? Because it's it's been what feels like an eternity of hearing that the Dome is going to be packed for a game. Sure. You know, we... Uh... Well, I'll say this. I'm coming to the game. I'm bringing my family up there. And part of it was um, I wanted my kids to kind of experience what what a game is like in the Dome back when we played. And it's been a while. Uh, I mean, remember when they retired 44 a few years back. I think you know, we had played South Florida at Jim Brown, you know, Floyd, Floyd Little in the building. And there were, you know, 25,000, 30,000 people in the Dome. And I think we lost to South Florida. Um, and that, I think that was the last time my kids were in the Dome. I wanted them to come and experience and and see what it's like when that place is, is packed and loud and how, how exciting and electric it can be. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's exciting to hear. I will say this, you know, this upcoming game against Maryland is, I, I'm, I'm concerned about it. It's, you know, my, my, uh, my coach, uh, Dave Wanstead with the, with the Dolphins, we used to laugh at him, but every time a game like this came up, he used to hang lobster traps all over <laughs> our locker room. Yeah. And, uh, but just to, you know, keep in mind that, you know, if you don't win this week, it really doesn't matter what happens next week. And I know I'd see some interviews, some of the players, you know, kept talking about the Clemson game. And, uh, you know, this Maryland game is going to be a tough game. And for that to be, you know, truly a, a meaningful big game, I, I think they've, they've got to take great care of business this week, which is, which is, uh, it'll be, be a tough game on the road. Yeah, you know, and, and that's the thing is you don't want to <clears throat> overlook it. I'm like you, I am concerned about this because, well, a big reason why I'm concerned is is that it's on the road. I mean, Mike Loxley, his history as a head coach, he was with New Mexico for 2009, he went 1-11. 2010, he went 1-11. 2011, he went 0-4. Then he came to Maryland, he coached for five games, went 1-5, and, 
and now he's a head coach again with Maryland. So his record's not going to show it, but this is a game that's on the road. Maryland is one of those teams that's been a litmus test in the past to kind of figure out, are you above the equator? Are you below the equator? You know, so for me, looking at this, if this was played in the Carrier Dome, then I, I would feel a little bit better about it. But the fact that it's being played in Maryland is a little bit of a concern. What can you say about the fact that you can't overlook any opponent? You know this, and people say it's coach speak all the time, which annoys the heck out of me because it's reality. If you look at week three in week two or you look at week seven in week two, you're not going to get there the way that you want to get there. So just what your take is on being a former player and knowing the fact that it's not just coach speak, you can't look past an opponent ever, especially when you're going into their home. You know, football is a game of emotion, and I think as a, you know, when you're able to become a professional and, and you're you're taught and you need to you know play at an extremely high level all the time, uh, you learn learn to manage those emotions to you know try to never get you know too high or too low in any given situation. But it's human nature to, to look forward to big events. And it's and it's 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 coached because they've lived it and they've seen it. But it's natural for you know to to have a big Clemson game. It's sold out. Everybody's excited about it. They're thinking about you know playing their best game on that stage. And here you have a you know a tough opponent on the road that is you know, maybe less exciting to you know play in that particular game. And it's natural to want to look past that at, at what might be coming up in the future. And it's uh, it's tough to do, especially with young kids who haven't been there before. So uh, you know I think you know. Dino's got. Dino knows this. He's been doing this for a long time. He, he knows how to, you know, to, to prep and talk to the kids and make sure that they're in the in, in a good place. I got to be honest with you. I, I had the opportunity to watch a Liberty game. I think that might have been a good thing. I think there's some some holes, things I'm concerned about, but I think it's good they didn't come walk, you know, just walk all over Liberty and and kind of, you know, think that they're gonna waltz through this this uh, Maryland game. I, I think there's some real questions that were raised and and things that need to be fixed and hopefully. You know, that'll be worked on this week and be approved upon you know, heading into this game and you know, possibly there'll be a little bit more focus relative to you know, what's going on this week than possibly looking towards the future. Yeah, you know, and Mike Loxley um, on the other side of it here, speaking on this week in the matchup, him being the head coach of Maryland, he comes from being the Alabama offensive coordinator, being under Nick Saban. So obviously this is no slouch as a coach. And like I said, his record might not show it as a head coach, but his experience has been tremendous. And he has been at the you know nation's highest level with being with a team like Alabama and having the players that he's had. So, you know, I can only imagine the fact that Mike Loxley is, is more than prepared to go up. Because I know Howard's not going to be a, a, a true, you know, sign of what they, they were playing their third stringers at the end of the game for Maryland. They won 79 to nothing. So I know that that's not a true sign by any stretch of the imagination of, you know, who is Maryland really. But Mike Loxley is a guy who's a talented coach who obviously has a great reputation or else you don't get hired with a guy like Nick Saban giving you an opportunity on that team. You know what? He, he's been known over the years as a guy who's a great recruiter. And, you know, look, Maryland has some talent. I think if I remember correctly, they took Ohio State down to the wire last year, which is tough to do. And, uh, uh, the, 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 you know, uh, Ryan Day is a buddy of mine. Uh, yeah, I remember him talking, uh, you know, previously about, you know, how talented, you know, the team is at, at spots. They've just not played all that well from, you know, they're not a terribly well-coached team, but they have some players. 
And uh, if I remember correctly, I think they brought in a significant amount of transfers from other, you know, other major programs. So they're, they're going to have some talent. And I think the, you know, the, the Orange will have their hands full from a, a talent standpoint. I think you know, the, the good thing is, uh, you know, look, Syracuse looked like they're, they have a very talented defense. They're, they're looking like they're playing with some confidence, you know, in the secondary, which is great. Have some, you know, great defensive ends that can put pressure on the quarterback and push the pocket. Uh, you know, they've got a, a strong kicking in special teams games. You play great defense and, and, and good special teams, they'll take you a long way. Uh, you know, the thing for me that was mo- just glaringly obvious was twofold. Uh, you know, Syracuse's offensive line had a real hard time, uh, you know, getting any movement against, uh, uh, you know, against Liberty, which was, was concerning. And they had, had a hard time protecting the pocket if, you know, if, if, if uh, they're going to have any success throwing or running the football. Uh, against more talented teams, so they're 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 going to have to improve their play on the offensive line. And it's my understanding. I think they've been moving some kids around, or maybe there's been some injuries. But that that jumped off the jumped off the TV when I was watching the game. Yeah, you know, and, and this offensive line is obviously an offensive line that you know it does feature some guys like Evan Adams and Sam Heckle, and you know some of the guys that had been in Aaron Service that had been there before, but. The offensive line took such a long time to build into what it became last season, and people don't pay attention to that. You know, it's so much, so much is focused on the quarterback. I mean, out of every question that I've asked to the fans, Syracuse fans, after the game, during the game, going into this game, the thing that I see more than anything else in everyone's responses is Tommy DeVito this, Tommy DeVito that. There's a focus on the quarterback. There's a focus, obviously, on the defense because they played well. There's a focus on the skill guys. But there's not a lot of time spent on the defensive and offensive line. And George O'Leary, who used to be at Syracuse and, and went on to UCF and whatnot, when him and I sat down, I'll never forget what he said. He said, as a coach, you got to build from the trenches out. you got to build from the offensive and defensive line out. If you don't know, as a coach, that you win a championship in the trenches – then you should probably shouldn't be coaching. If you don't get that, then you don't get anything. So this offensive line had grown over time. I had watched this thing grow the last three, four, five years into what it was last season. And now you have round robin. And, and Aaron Service told me during fall camp, he said, we're all just kind of playing everywhere. where Nobody has a dedicated position. We're trying to figure out who's best here, who's best there. So service is the center on the depth chart, but then Sam Heckle takes over there, and Evan Adams is the right guard, and he's been there forever. Now he's the left guard, and then this guy's new, and this guy shifts. So I think the offensive line, like I told people going into the season, my three biggest questions are what Tommy DeVito's going to do as the outright leader, what the offensive line's going to do, and what the linebacker core is going to do. And you just brought up one of those things, that this offensive line is going to have to find some chemistry because... They've been all over the place, and like Aaron Service said, if you got no dedicated guy in one area, that's because you're not confident 100% that that's where he should be. So this line is going into the season still trying to find its it their the, each each player's niche, and and obviously trying to find some chemistry. Yeah, and look on the offensive line, you you need one or two guys that can get movement off the ball, and that'll create seams. And if you can run the football, you can play action enough where you can. You can create some, uh, you know, create a blocking schemes, and, and Dino is very good at this to be able to block up the line and give Tommy the you know, time to you know, throw it down the field. Listen, Devito is a, a very, very gifted passer. Uh, you know, the passing game is all about timing and spacing, and it, it was off. It was just off. I, and it's hard. To, you know, you don't know what you don't know. 
you don't know if the you know receiver missed read things, if the ball was over un, over underthrown, what have you. But just as a pure passer, Devito can throw the football. But it's going to take some time for you know things to, to gel a little bit. But clearly, to me, the you know the offensive line not being able to get a lot of movement in the run game and or protect the passer was, was a big issue. And then the timing and the spacing of the passing game, which which also look is is a big is a you know, part of not being able to run the football and or um, you know not run the football consistently and and you know and not be able to protect the passer certainly creates you know some some back end issues there. But I, I think you know from what I've seen from Tommy, if he can you know work in this consistency a little bit, I think he's had his chance to be a very good football player for a long time for the Orange. Yeah, you know, and, and there is that belief that, that Tommy obviously has the talent to do it. I believe that he does. I mean, something that stuck out to me last season was how he came onto the field and relieved Eric Dungy, comes out onto the field and immediately drops back, sets his feet, and bombs a 60-plus yard pass down the field. I mean, this man doesn't come out like he's cold. He doesn't come out needing to warm up. He's warm all the time when it looks like something like that. He's got a lot of confidence in himself, a lot of confidence in his ability. So that's something that I think will build over time. But, you know, like I told everybody, even though he's had his good days and he's done good things out there when he's been in relief, when you become a starter, it's different. And I mean, can you can you speak to that at all? That, you know, when you have the experience, obviously that helps you. But when you know that there's nobody in front of you and it's your job, you know, does it do something to your psyche? Because it seems like when you have that, okay, well, you know what? I'm coming in for quarters three and four. That's a lot different than saying, I got 12 games ahead of me, hopefully more than that, and I'm the guy. I mean, just what you can ta- say about the transition of I'm a relief guy and now I'm the person. Yeah, you know, maybe I could speak personally. I mean, I, I, so I I, uh, I played my true freshman year and, and, and played all you know, four years at Syracuse. And I was I played with William McNabb for our four years, and maybe the best thing is to kind of you know look at his and his progression. But you know, when you're young and at, especially the quarterback position, um, yeah, you have a lot on you. It's it's not only you know, especially with the complex system, you know, getting everybody in the right place, having the right calls, you know, making the right leads. But everybody's looking at you. It's you know, at the end of the day, you're the leader of this team. Um, you know, a, a guy like Dan Marino. Look, Dan obviously was, was was very very gifted, but he came in the huddle, and he was just you know he was your alpha. Everybody you know was on, on you know off of his energy, his confidence, and you know when when he was on and he was you know had, had his you know attitude going. Everybody played at a higher level, and you, you just felt it through the you know the, the emotion, the energy throughout the huddle, and that's learned. You know uh, he's he's you know Tommy's been a, a backup. He's come in and, and spelled and played at high levels, but. It's that leadership role and the expectation that you're going to be excellent at everything you do all the time. And if things, you know, turn sideways, you're going to be the guy to get, you know, come in and make a play. Um, and it's, you know, that, that's learned. And I, I saw that progression playing with Don through our four years where, you know, early on we were freshmen and, you know, we were, you know, doing everything we were doing. We had a lot of success, but you really started to see it with Don his junior, especially his senior year, where it was, he's just a different guy. And it's learned. It's part of the process. It's it's from you know, making mistakes and having success. But um, you know, I, I think it'll come with time. And you know, he, again, he, he's a young guy and he's got a lot on his plate right now. But um, I, I think I think he has a chance to be pretty good um, you know, as we go forward. Absolutely. And speaking here with Rob Conrad 
on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Charney's Menswear and Tuxedo Studios here on 3150 Erie Boulevard East in Syracuse, New York. Rob, before I let you go, biggest question mark on the team this season? I mean, we talked about a bunch of stuff here, but overall, biggest question mark for you this season and on the other side of it, the biggest positive for the team this year? Yeah, you know, for, for, for me, and I've talked about it, it's just, you know, can, can, the consistency with the offensive line of the passing game. You know, can, can those things come together? Um, it, it was not pretty uh, early on. I guess that's why you play an early game uh, and don't open up against, you know, a Tennessee or Michigan or someone. But, you know, can those things come together? Because, you know, if you put that together and you get Dino's passing game in play with that defense, I think they're they're going to have a have a chance to be pretty good. And, and Listen, I'm, I'm excited from what I see on defense. They've got some talented players. They're playing with confidence, playing with attitude. And, and uh, you know, like I said before, you play great defense and special teams, it'll keep you in a lot of football games. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what they can do this upcoming week. Yeah, and, and, and knowing that they have Clemson hanging here in, in the background, <clears throat> just as a former football player and as a fan, college game day. I was looking at what could be – for college game day, what they could have, what could be going on. And there's a few games that are happening in week three. There's Florida, Kentucky, there's Iowa, Iowa state, there's Pittsburgh and Penn state, and there's Clemson and Syracuse. Two years ago, Clemson comes into the carrier dome reigning national champion and Syracuse defeats them. And some people saw it, but a lot of people nationally did not because they probably thought nothing of it. Does college game day, in your opinion, have a choice when you think of Iowa, Iowa State, Pitt, Penn State, and Florida, Kentucky, or should it be Clemson and Syracuse outright? Well, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little jaded on the subject matter, but especially given ESPN's close ties to the university I, I, and, and what's gone on here in the last few years, the fact Davos come out and said point blank the biggest team that we've had problems with in the ACC is, is by far been Syracuse. I, I don't know why they wouldn't you know, have, you know, be here for this game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just think it makes the most sense to put it out there and, you know, obviously to have them here. And it would be the first time that they would be here. So, And the game's already going to be on ABC. It's at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. A final piece, Rob, just the NFL is back. You were a part of the NFL. You were a part of, obviously, Syracuse history. We're in full swing with both. I can't believe that the NFL is already upon us. We've already had our first game. What are you most excited about? How how much do you stay connected to, you know, the Dolphins down in Florida and whatnot? Just what you can say about, you know, the football season in general and and if you're a Dolphin through and through to this day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I actually sit on the board of the Miami Dolphin Foundation, which is the team's charitable arm. And, and so I'm, I'm quite close to the uh, to the organization down here. And, and uh, one of our businesses that we're involved is, and we, we do a few different things, but part of it is, uh, we're involved with family office and, and wealth management services for coaches and, and players in various sports. We work with four or five NFL head coaches, like five or six starting quarterbacks in the NFL. So there's there's a bunch of teams that we, you know, players that we're close with. So we're, we we stay, uh, you know, we, we stay involved. It's kind of a fun thing for me to stay involved with it. But, you know, the Dolphins are going through a whole other cycle right now. I mean, they're they're obviously traded away a lot. They're 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 quote-unquote talented players, and they're you know building up draft picks, a la you know Patriots over the years to, to have some firepower going into the draft. And 
you know, it's. I don't think there's a, a terrific amount of excitement for what's going down here in Miami right now. I'll always be a supporter, um, you know, of, of, of the uh, of the team, but it's been it's been tough <laughs> for for a while. And but they're hopefully you know taking a step back so they can take uh, take a step forward. But it's a, it's a, you know real exciting year for the NFL. It's their hundredth anniversary, and uh, you know, given given a lot of things that have been going on. You know, with with you know throughout and within the league, I think it's a it's a exciting year, and I think people are are pretty pretty uh, excited for football to be back. Yeah, you know, we're we're, we're seeing obviously the the fact that you know Mark Walton, who has connections to Miami in general, he's on the team. Uh, Kalen Bellage and Kenyon Drake. You were in the backfield for the Miami Dolphins. Is there anybody out there that? Makes you excited. I mean, Miles Gaskin was drafted late. There's a thought that he could, you know, leapfrog a couple guys. Is there anything in the backfield that you're excited about, or are you happy to have Josh Rosen after he spent seemingly 14 minutes in Arizona? I mean, what what's your take about that? Yeah, listen, to the Josh Rosen situation. I think that um, it was a good value pick for them to make the trade. I think there's a lot that needs to be proven. Uh, on his part, if he can be, uh, you know, high quality quarterback in the NFL, um, if if I had to guess, I would I would say that the Dolphins will still be in the market for a QB come dr- the draft next year. Uh, but they're 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 gonna, I mean, it's going to be tough for them. They they got rid of a lot and, and traded away a lot of their um, you know higher level players in the team, and you know looked at those couple different things, and it's you know just from uh, I talked before about football being an emotional game. It's hard to overcome when you, you know, when there's a message being sent from the top brass that, you know, we're kind of not really expecting you to be competitive this year, and yet you're asked to go and sacrifice your body on the field to go play this game. So it's going to be a tough year. I wouldn't want to be a player on the Dolphins this year. It's tough to, it's going to be tough to, tough to have in the back of your mind all, all year long. And and the last thing I want to speak with you about, Rob, you actually. Made it. Uh, we host trivia here at Dominic's Restaurant every Wednesday at seven in Syracuse, and we did some Syracuse football trivia. So you were one of my questions. I, I felt the need to do it to ask the people who the last person officially was in Syracuse football history to wear the number forty-four. You wore it. You wore it well, in my opinion, from ninety-five to ninety-eight. Just, just what you can say about that. I mean, the the history of forty-four started, and some people. Don't know this because you think about Jim Brown. It started back in 1921 with Gifford Zimmerman wearing it. Jim Brown didn't don it until 1954. Just you know your your take of it that you got to wear it, you got to have that in history, and and since then no one has touched 44 at Syracuse. Sure, yeah. Listen, it was a big thing for me. I mean, it was always my number. It was you know I, I was. Uh, you know, lucky enough to be a very highly recruited player at a high school in Massachusetts, and you know, had offers from you know Stanford, USC, Notre Dame, Michigan, what have you. And you know, for me, that was a big deal. The reason I went to went to Syracuse to you know be the full, first fullback to wear that number, and certainly with those guys, uh, with the history of it was was you know, and has become even more meaningful as I've gotten to know Jim over the years, and and Floyd, and and understood the Ernie Davis story. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was a big deal for me. Um, my Paul Pascaloni, uh, you know, basically told me when I, when I, you know, came to the university, he said, you're, you know, by wearing this number, you're giving yourself the community, you're giving yourself the, you know, to the school and you have to do everything, you know, cleaner and better than everybody else. And that's always stuck with me. And that's, you know, something that I, I lived with for my four years there. I hope that certainly I, 
it made the community proud the way I you know, played and wore, wore the number. And uh, it's been a big part of my life. So it's, uh, you know, as far as keeping the number retired or not, I always punt and defer that to, uh, to Jim and Floyd. Um, I, I think that's really, you know, in, 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 in their uh, ballpark, if you're ever going to retire a number, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly a number that should be, you know, considered full time. I, I believe uh, John created maybe a council of 44 that that we'll be talking about coming up here as far as you know, what, what's going to happen in the future. But I, I always defer to the Jim and Floyd on on the issue of which you know whether they retired or not. Yeah, and, and that is the biggest question: is is it truly retired? Is it not truly retired? You know, where is the stance on it? Because they said that they were going to unretire it but then there's paperwork to it and all that. So it's, it's, it's kind of this thing that's looming over Syracuse is, is, you know, this, this invisible 44, just kind of there, almost like a ghost. Is it there? Is it not? And so Jim Brown and Floyd Little, like you said, obviously a lot of respect for what they did with it, but you deserve it as well, Rob. And with that being said, I appreciate you being a part of the show today. I'm happy to know that you're safe and that your family's well, and hopefully you will not have to deal with uh, much, bad weather this hurricane season and and hopefully we can get through that seamlessly and in the Bahamas and everybody that needs the help can get it but thank you for what you're doing for the community and thank you for what you do for Syracuse as well I yeah, appreciate it Dan and look forward to seeing you up there in a couple of weeks all right sounds good I'll see you soon take care